Hi, I'm Marianne Talkovsky, and you're listening to the Humanity Speaks podcast. With over a decade of experience as a holistic health practitioner and face reader, I've read hundreds of faces and elevated how many people see themselves. Every person's facial features tell a story of who they are and who they came to be. And in this podcast, you will hear what people see and learn about themselves while looking in the mirror. You won't want to miss an episode, so be sure to subscribe. Mike Iamelli tells a beautiful love story that's so unexpected and compelling. I highly recommend that you listen to him share about meeting his partner and the journey along with it. He shares his work and also his epiphanies. Basically, I encourage you to listen to the end to hear what Mike believes humanity needs the most and also hear his story of courage. Okay, so I'm Marianne Talkovsky of Humanity Speaks, The Human uh, in the Mirror. We're going on episode 16, 17, or somewhere in that, in those keen realms. But I am so excited today to be talking with Mike. I am Ellie. I am Ellie. Okay, Mike, <laughs> I am Ellie. Um, I, I mean, gosh, I wanted, as I mentioned when we first chatted, I just really am drawn in by your story and I can't wait for others to hear everything that you had shared with me and yeah. to hear it again. Um, so as you know, I start every episode with my guests looking in the mirror and it is, you know, the human in the mirror, how we see ourselves. So um, because the audience cannot see you or maybe they can, but maybe they see a photo, um, tell me, tell us, how would you describe how you look, your features, and your identity. Yeah, that's a question right there. Um, you know, I think I'll start with what was once an insecurity of mine, which I have a large nose. I have a bigger nose. Um, I think that I have bushy eyebrows. I have a, um, I don't know, I think my complexion's maybe a little more olive sometimes. I tan fairly easily. I hardly ever burn. Um, I have dark brown hair um, that used to, I used to think it was black when I was little because it's very dark. Um, I have, um, let me see, how else can I describe myself? I have facial hair, so I have a mustache and a little goatee. I have brown eyes, a little bit of a wave to my hair. Yeah, I think that's some of what I see. Okay, and you said olive tone, so um, anything about ethnicity heritage sure so yeah my um heritage is my dad is from italy and my mom is um jewish of course sometimes it's disputed where that's from but people like to say that i can look somewhat israeli so i don't know i mean if it way back when i think that i've got some ukrainian and russian in me as well but um so somewhere in there i've got some mediterranean okay and then i can't help but point out that i'm hearing this really amazing accent oh you know if you knew me 10 years ago it would have been even more amazing I, i'm sad to say i think i'm losing it but um yes i live in boston and so park the car in harvard yard i have a boston <laughs> accent awesome awesome okay and then when you look at yourself mike is there any you said it, uh, you started you prefaced by saying 
it was not a feature you loved in the past, your nose. Talk to me about like what you think about your nose now. Yeah, I think I've really gone on this kind of body love journey over the last 10 years. And one thing that I've come to find is, you know, my nose carries so much of my ancestry and so many stories with it. And I've really come to feel that I can carry, you know, my grandmother, she was one of the people I was closest with in the world, carry her journey and her story. And so many people, you know, to make me and have me be created took many, many, many people in this world. And I just feel so grateful that I get to carry that. And I think it's this, you know, my husband always says, he's like, you would look terrible with any other nose. Like it just fits your face. It makes you beautiful. It's very distinguished. So your nose reminds you of your grandmother? Yes. Tell me about her. Oh, my grandmother was probably the most interesting, amazing person in the entire world. Um, she was absolutely beautiful. I wish I had a picture of her. She looked a lot like Marilyn Monroe. Um, she's really just a naturally beautiful person. Uh, she was fun and dynamic um, and goofy. And I actually don't think we have the same nose, but I think that it reminds me of her because it feels like my Jewish nose. Um, she is, um, yeah, just a real, um, I don't know, I don't use this phrase, but it's coming up, so I'm going to say it, ball buster. Um, <laughs> she, she's, you know, this, she would, my, my grandfather did business with some wealthy people, and she would just go to these parties and just be like, I don't give a shit about these people. I'm going to, like, talk the way I want and dress the way I want and not try to impress anyone. And she's very, um, just really had this natural charisma to her. I love that. I love that. And that you're identifying and connecting with that piece of her as being your ancestry and, and owning it in you. Yeah. So I know when you had shared your story, I had asked about a hardship. Yeah. And I mean, I was immediately drawn in. I, I would love to go there. I yeah, please. Talk to, talk to us about the hardship that you, you want to share. Yes. So, you know, my story is that early in life, I was pretty successful. I started a public relations agency when I was 22 that grew pretty successful. And I worked with a lot of healthcare politicians and tech executives and celebrities. And then a few years later, I woke up one day and I started vomiting blood. And that didn't stop for months. That was obviously a terrifying experience. Um, I went to the emergency room to get fluids. I you know, didn't know what was wrong with me. I ended up being so sick that I had an accident at work. You know, I shit my pants at work. It was the most mortifying moment of my life. And I thought I was slowly dying. And at the time, um, I had two roommates. One was uh, not around much because she had a boyfriend. And the other one was a guy I knew loosely from college. And he was a medical professional. So he knew a little bit, not about what I was going through, because no doctor did, but he knew enough to, you know, pick up my prescriptions and take me to appointments. And somewhere in this process, I realized I started to develop feelings for him. And it felt strange, because to that point in my life, I had never been with a man, and to my conscious knowledge, never been interested in a man. And it didn't feel sexual, it didn't feel romantic, but it felt like something. And to give you some context, I mean, I thought... I was going to die. So part of me was thinking like, is this just like a human in proximity? And I'm just like, you know, desperate enough. And I didn't really know, but I thought, well, I could die. And I just feel like I can't keep anything inside anymore. And so I decided one day I was just going to tell him. 
was just going to say, hey, you know, this is weird. I don't know how to describe it. I don't know if you're going to want to punch me in the face. But, like, I feel something happening here. And I'm grateful that Garrett is the most thoughtful person in the entire world. And so he um, thought about this, and we talked about it for months. And a few months of conversation turned into two years of exploring if a relationship can work. If we can figure out intimacy or not, maybe, if we even needed that. We still dated women as well as we explored this for years. Um, and, you know, long story short, to speed it up, I left my job because I had been so sick and decided to start a business that wasn't really taking off. So I wanted to just write about a few of my stories, not the relationship, because I wasn't ready to tell the whole world. But, you know, I was successful. I got sick. It wasn't what I was cracked up to be. And so I wrote about this, and about three months later, a publisher reached out to me and said, can I just give you a book deal? I was like, does that happen? Oh, okay, yeah, you're going to give me an advance? Cool, I'm wow. down. Yeah, so I, I wrote this book, and they wanted me to talk about my relationship in it. And at this point, you know, we had just figured out that, like, this was a real thing. And we had started to figure it out, and we told very few, you know, family and a few close friends. And so I sent in my manuscript. And then I thought, oh, shit. Like, I have to tell people about this. They can't find out on the shelves of Barnes & Noble. And so I said, I'm going to write a blog post. Because in my mind, I was thinking, I don't have to tell all these individual people. I can just write something. They can all talk behind my back. And then they can come to me. And this is so much easier. So that was my thinking around this. So anyway, I wrote a blog post. I went to bed that night. I woke up the next morning and 100,000 people had shared it. And it was, I can't even describe to you how overwhelming it is to have millions of people talking about your sex life and asking you to defend your sexuality or explain it when you aren't even clear what it is and you're trying to navigate this publicly. And so it was really a journey. And, you know, thankfully, there was a long time where I didn't do interviews about this. This was seven years ago now. So thankfully, you know, there's enough distance and I've done enough self-work to really explore this topic. But, um... Yeah, that was quite a hardship in my life. Wow. 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 I mean, I have chills and I'm excited while you're talking about this. This is so crazy. I, I, so what do you think it was about your story that made it go viral? You know, I think that it was really this point I was making that I'm in love with Garrett for a thousand different reasons. And him being a man is just one attribute of who he is. And it's one I've come to love and appreciate, but... Um, you know, at the end of every day, we have a decision in every moment to move toward or away from love. And I didn't know where that was going to take me. I didn't know if it was even possible, but I just made that decision. And I think that people, it really opened a conversation on bisexuality, pansexuality, sexual fluidity, and just love in general, um, and what unconditional love can mean. And I think people really, you know, I'll be honest, some people, there's a lot of hate mail, so it wasn't all positive. But I think that, you know, people all over really felt like this was opening a broader conversation and that we were really exploring, um, you know, the fact that, like, I'm not going to objectify and reduce my husband to one part of himself. There's so many reasons to be in love with him. And um, I was able to, you know, even, like, you know, he... It, not that you know, masculine, feminine, we're both masculine and feminine in different ways, but he is so 
in some ways more um, carries this feminine energy than a lot of women I've dated. And yet he's also super masculine in some ways too. And it just really opened my eyes to the energy of relationships and kind of what I'm needing and what I'm calling in. And that may not equate to the body parts that I had previously been used to. Yeah. I mean, because you identified as heterosexual. Yeah, at the time I did. And, and you know, it's, it's interesting because people ask me all the time, like, oh, my God, do you think that you were really nervous to be gay or something? And I mean, still today, I'll be honest with you, I will notice an attractive woman before I notice an attractive man. That's just for whatever reason. And I have a lot of gay friends. So it's interesting because I, I always, I think I sort of see myself as a bohemian person. It was never that I was kind of like, oh my gosh, I can't be gay. Like, sure, if there's someone attractive enough comes along, great. But for whatever reason, up until that point in my life, it hadn't. And so it wasn't something that I was you know, kind of even on my radar or thinking about. Yeah. And, and I just want to say, like, okay, reading about you and then hearing you speak and seeing your face and feel, feeling and sensing your energy and the way yeah. you're your story in Chinese medicine, we've got these five elements yeah. and you talked about your curly hair. That's fire. Mm-hmm. There's definitely you use the word zaniness in, in your, yes. um, your piece that you wrote to me. You know, I, I definitely see the zaniness and you're calling in your grandmother. You describe <laughs> her very similarly, right? Mm-hmm. But you have this fire nature to you, but there's also like a wood energy yeah. in your brows. You said bushy brows. And when your brows are that strong, there is um, drive, determination. I mean, you were very clear and succinct about your message to either move towards or away from love. Yeah. You you were so clear in that. And, and then the nose piece, you know, this area here and the size of your nose, that represents personal power. Yeah. And I, I just get the sense, you know, that, Mike, you've really done your work to get very comfortable and confident in in stepping into your identity, whatever that looks like. You said fluidity. We can't just put ourselves in a box, right? That's how you describe Garrett too. Like we are so complex as individuals. There's so many different facets about us. And normally I'll see a predominant element in someone's face, but you've got a variety of things going on. You've even got a little bit of earth with this roundedness mm-hmm. here which is really about comfort and connection and community yeah. and it sounds like with this piece that went viral you were opening the conversation for that for what you know needs to happen in um and our current <laughs> world right now with this particular topic of yeah. gender fluidity right so um and then the one other element water, which is wisdom. When people have hair on their chin and they've got mm. hair in their bosom, that actually amplifies this area of the face is water and water represents creativity. Yeah. So I, I want to hear more about like how any of this is landing with you and, and how it's, how you're identifying with it. Sure. So, you know, definite resonance. Um, you know, I, um, years ago, I went through in my healing journeys. I'm a clinical herbalist. I've done a whole bunch of different things. And we did study, you know, some Chinese face reading. And I, I have read Gene Hainer's book. I don't know if you're familiar with The Wisdom of Your Face. And thinking about some of those things. But yeah, you know, it's really so beautiful to hear you, you know, speaking about it. Because um, I think that, 
my home. So my home is very um, metal. Um, I have a lot of white. I don't know if you can see behind me, a lot of white. And I think that in the past, that probably would have been my go-to, like big, spacious, no clutter, clean. My nervous system is sensitive. But we have these beautiful maple floors. Everything is maple. And Garrett is a very earthy, grounded person. And he always will remind me that that's something I need in my life, that that's something that I don't want to neglect or forget in my life. And he was your caretaker. He was, yes. Yeah, that's a very earthy aspect of a, you know, um, of a being. So, and I see a picture in your background that is very fiery. Mm-hmm. That's Well, you know, my, my walls are all white. Like I mentioned, everything is white. And when we bought this home, I thought I need a splash of energy, really intentional, strong energy. And so I had this vision in my mind. I measured and I said, okay, there's about 72 inches right there. I want a three panel, you know, 36 by 24 inch um, each painting. And I want it to be red. And I saw in my mind this gorgeous explosion of life. And then I thought, well, where the heck am I going to find this thing? And I kid you not, I just typed into Etsy red abstract painting. And I saw this exact painting. I said, okay, that is it. I've got to get it. I'll receive. I love it. I love it. What well, and one other thing I wanted to mention is you had said in the very beginning, uh, your heritage, your background, Italian with Jewish descent as well. And sometimes people mistake you for Israeli. And that is a huge water element. When you can go to a place, you may even go to, you know, Latin American continent and people or countries and people will mistake you for speaking Spanish. Or, you know, you might go to somewhere in Europe and people will mistake you for fitting in there. So you have this ability to be a chameleon and people will, you know, wonder where, where, where is he from? And does he, you know, they'll just take you in as if you belong. Mm. So I love that. Actually, I take this as a huge compliment, but we were in Italy a few years ago and I do speak Italian, not well anymore. I used to. Um, I spent a few summers there, but we were there. My dad is from Italy, so he was speaking to a um, uh, attendant at a, um, um, a retail place, and the person said, "Like, oh, well, you're all American, but your son, he's Italian. Like, he was born here." My dad's like, "No, no, no." He said, "But, but he looks like I, I can see him. He's Italian." And I said, "No, no, no. He's not. He's a he's." And I was like, "Oh, he's saying I don't dress like bad. This is great. Like, I take this as a compliment." So the person was saying you were more Italian than your dad. Is that exactly, what <laughs> exactly. My dad is from there saying that I, you know, because I think I was wearing like a cool like messenger bag and I had some like leather sneakers or something. And so he, he said, no American dresses. Like this person is Italian. I know it. <laughs> Talk to me about, uh, Mike, your, your values. Like what is super important to you? Yeah. And, like how you are in the world and, and your message. I think, you know, for me, it I'm really big on subjectivity, on this idea that, you know, no moment of our lived experience is wasted and we can't, nobody can tell you that your lived experience is wrong, right? You know, I think so often in our world today, we judge ourselves against these theories. And the, the whole point of a theory, first of all, is to explain lived experience. So if it, ever your life doesn't match the theory, your life is right, the theory is wrong. 
And that's something, you know, I'm really passionate about. Um, I think a lot of people feel bad about who they are. And it really makes, you know, so much of my work is about helping people to honor their sensitivities, honor who they are and really love it and build a life, whether that's a business, a relationship, sexuality, whatever, around who they actually are. Um, you know, in reality, I think that I, I am very, you know, I love to travel, but I'm also a super homebody in some ways. I think I really love to be on the couch with my two dogs and my husband and, um, you know, have a very chill uh, life. And our engagement, you know, when we got engaged, we have a crazy, crazy story. I would love to tell it, but we probably don't have time today. Oh, let's hear it. Oh, you want to hear it? Okay. It's like a a 10 minute story. Do we have time for this? Yes. Okay. Well, so, cause this tells a lot about our values. I, I, I'm yeah. Anyway. So about six months into my relationship, I knew I wanted to marry Garrett. And even though we hadn't figured out the physical side, I knew I wanted to marry him because of this one night I had just been getting better. And we, you know, I, for the first time, went out. Like, I hadn't been going out. I didn't know if I was going to vomit blood somewhere, so I didn't want to go out. But I was just getting better. And I went to a Christmas party that was in a section of Boston that is notoriously bad for parking. It's all cobblestone streets. There is no parking there. And it was a snowstorm that night. And so I made my way to the park. I don't drive, but I made my way over there by public transportation. And Garrett was on residency working at a hospital at this point. And so he had to work like 16-hour days, and he was, you know, all tired in his scrubs. And I said, okay, I'll see you when I get home, because he was working till about midnight. And um, at about 12.30 at this party, I looked over, and in the corner, Garrett is sitting there in his scrubs. And I went over to him. I said, what, what are you doing here? Why would you drive across the city after working 16 hours in scrubs, exhausted, to sit at this party by yourself? And he said, well, I'll tell you, you know... I had a long day. I worked all day long today. I was exhausted. And when I got into my car to go to drive home, I thought after this really exhausting day, the one thing I wanted to do was just go drive over there. I don't care if I had to fight for parking and fight through the storm to just sit in the corner and watch you tell stories. And I could watch you tell stories all night long. And I knew that if I didn't pick you up and drive you home, you would take public transportation and there would be a half hour later And I'd probably be too tired to stay awake. So if I wanted to see you tonight, I had to come over here and just sit by myself having my drink and watch you tell stories tonight. And I thought, well, I'm marrying him. So I am finding a way to marry this man. And so I knew at that moment that I wanted to propose to him the first time he saw the Mediterranean Ocean because he had never been to Europe. And I had spent a few summers in Italy. And I knew this exact balcony on the Amalfi Coast of Italy. And that the first time he saw the Mediterranean, that was where I was going to propose. Because it was one of the most beautiful places I'd ever known, and I thought I could rival his beauty. So I decided I was going to do this. Well, I was just starting a business. And I wanted this to be a surprise. It was not easy for me to hide lots and lots of money. So I thought, I can't pull this off. So it took me four years. But four years later, flash forward, I said to him, I didn't even know if I could afford it, but I said, I am doing this. And I said to him, hey, in like four months, can you take a week off of work? Just something small I want to do. He's like, okay, I guess. So he took the week off of work. And I said, I can buy, I can afford the tickets. That's all I need so far. I'll figure out the rest. And so I I bought these plane tickets. And um, I wanted to get his parents' blessing. And now his parents, they live in Pennsylvania. And they are um, divorced. They don't interact very often. And so this would have been a big to-do to get these people together. So I told Garrett that I was going to a yoga retreat in Syracuse. I secretly flew down to Philly. 
I stayed with his ex-girlfriend because she was an important part of his, her, his life and I wanted to include her, get her blessing. She drove me to their family, their, where both of their families are from. And I asked for everyone's blessing. It was a weird weekend. I can't get into that today. And I so badly, I mean, hanging out with your in-laws without your partner, I so badly wanted to tell Garrett and I couldn't because this was a surprise. So I get back, you know, um, fly back and I knew Garrett was going to check flight tracker. And I thought, oh crap, like he's going to know I'm not where I said I was. And so I'm like, no, 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 I have Uber credits. Don't pick me up at the airport. And I'm trying every lie I could. But of course, it just didn't work. So I just, he said, like, it's so weird. Flight tracker doesn't work anymore. I was like, yeah, I don't know what's going on with it. So we got out of this. So this is our relationship based in a lie. Beautiful hair. So I find that the day comes. It's about a month later. The day comes when we're supposed to leave. And I'm not telling him anything. I wouldn't tell him if we were flying or driving. I said, you know, pack for both. I wouldn't put a knife in your carry-on. That's all I'm saying. And I, I told him, you know, he said, um, how should I pack? Like, what should I wear? And I said, well, and truthfully, that week in Italy wasn't going to be very warm. And I said, we're not going far. So just pack whatever you would wear around here. He said, okay, okay. So the day comes. Now, nobody ever needs their passport, right? Like in everyday life, we don't usually need our passport. I found where he keeps his passport. I was so excited. I was ready to pull it. And the day of, he said, oh, it's so weird. I have to bring my passport to work because I'm starting teaching classes at this university and I need it for tax reasons. Like, Are you freaking kidding me? The one time in your life that you will have your passport on you is the day that I am going to need it secretly. <laughs> okay. So he gets home from work and I kept telling him, we'll just hit the road when you get home because um, it was an 11 p.m. flight and I knew no matter what, we would be fine. And so he comes home and he says, okay, the one thing I need you to tell me the truth about, will I need my passport? Because I don't want to bring it and then lose my passport if I don't need it. I thought, oh my God, Mike, just make a decision. Just commit and figure it out. And I said, no, you know what? You're not going to need your passport. I wouldn't want you losing it. Why don't you just go put it away, go pack the car. I'll be down in a second. Well, I sprinted into that bedroom, found that passport, was zipping it up as he came back up the stairs. Like my heart is racing now. Uh And I went downstairs and I said, oh, no, 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 not that car. I meant the Uber I just ordered. So we get into this Uber and, you know, you don't have to necessarily tell the driver where you're going. You can put it in the app. So I thought I would be sneaky. I told the driver, you know, we'll just tell him where we're going. And so I got sent to the airport. But I am so psychotic that I am studying the blueprint of the airport. And, you know, I knew in Boston, if you get dropped off at Terminal E, that's international. He was going to know we were going international. I couldn't have that. So I found that there's a passageway from C to E. And C happens to be JetBlue, which we fly often. So I got dropped off at C. And we go over to the kiosk. And I think, oh, my God, oh, my God, shit, shit. And he said, what is it? What would you forget? I said, oh, can you just hold this? I gave him his passport. He said, why would you bring your passport? You told me not to bring mine. Wait, this is my passport. I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. Can you hold this? And I gave him three books on Rome. He's like, what's going on here? I said, we're getting on a plane to Rome tonight. When you wake up tomorrow morning, you'll be in Rome. So he is like kind of freaking out and like, what are you talking about? How is this possible? I said, let's go. So I knew he was going to call his mom. Now, no offense to my mother-in-law, but she is the worst liar in the world. And I said, okay, Cheryl, we are going to have to get this one down. So Garrett's going to call you saying we're going to Italy. You have to pretend you knew that, but not that we're getting engaged. There are multiple layers here, so you have to really work this angle. So she handled it fine. We get on that plane, and um, I told Garrett, listen, I've spent some summers there. We can do the local thing. We can do the touristy thing. This is your trip. I want you to plan it. I want you to have everything you want, because it's the first time he'd ever been to Europe. I said, the only thing 
is that I want to make sure halfway through we go to the Amalfi Coast. So half the week in Rome, half the week in Amalfi. That's it. He said, okay. So we get there. And it is supposed to rain every day that we are there. But it didn't. It was beautiful and sunny. And we're like, oh, someone's looking out for me. This is amazing. And we had three beautiful, beautiful days in Rome. And then the day we were supposed to leave, our train was about 2 o'clock. And this was the last train down south of the day. So, like, I couldn't miss this train because this was really important. And so Garrett woke up and he said, today, right before we leave Rome, I want to go to the Vatican. And I thought, on a Saturday, okay, this is going to be a disaster, but let's try this. So we go over to the Vatican and I go up to the line and someone tells me there's about a two-hour wait to get in line. And I said, ugh, they are so dramatic. It's never going to be that long. Don't worry, let's get in this line. And finally, we're not encumbered by all of our big, you know, raincoats and umbrella because it was the one nice day. Finally, there was going to be a nice day. And every other day, even though it didn't rain, we always brought our stuff with us. So we were so excited. We get in this line. It starts downpouring. So now it is raining all over us and we can't get out of line. We do not want to lose our spot. And now I have to pee. And I have to pee so badly. I'm sitting in this line like, oh my God, oh my God, please, please. I just got to get through this. And now Garrett's getting hungry. And I'm like, okay, okay, we're just waiting, and we're waiting, and we're waiting some more. And it's raining so, I mean, it is downpouring so badly that we had to buy a 10 euro poncho just to wrap around his camera because we didn't want it to break. I mean, we're getting soaked, but his camera we had to um, fix. So we're waiting, we're waiting some more. Finally, it's been two and a half hours. We are three people from the front of the line. And Garrett said, I don't think we should spend 40 euro each to go in there for 10 minutes. We don't have time. Let's get out of line. So after two and a half hours of standing in the rain, we leave this line. So I'm thinking like, oh my God, I just want to get home. I just want to pee. But first I thought, well, maybe I can pee around here. Garrett can grab a bite to eat. So we're running around to the different restaurants and nothing is opening until one. And it's 12.45. I said, I don't even care about food. Just please let me pee. Nobody is letting me pee. So I said, okay, let's just get home at this point. So we go back to the metro And I see people standing outside in the rain. And I asked somebody in Italian, what's happening here, you know? And they said, oh, this is a delay between these three stops. The only stops we needed. So I said, oh my God, we have to walk home. Like there's no way we can get home. So speed walk home. So where um, the Vatican is, uh, the Tiber River turns a few times. It can be a little confusing to remember exactly where you are, which side of the river. So we pull out our map which is now disintegrating in our hands. Uh We're trying to read street signs that are etched into the buildings in Roman letters, and I can't even see them with the downpouring. Long story short, the bridge we wanted went one way. The bridge we took went a different way. We are now further away from where we want to be in Rome. And if I miss this train, I have nowhere to stay in Rome. It's a few hundred euro, the train ticket, and I have a non-refundable place down on the Amalfi Coast. So it's like over $1,000 I'm losing. And I'm already like breaking the bank to do this trip. I cannot miss this train. So I'm really, I can't even sit still. I have to pee so badly. And Garrett, hungry has turned to hangry. And so now we are, you know, bickering. And all I can think in my mind is F this. I'm not proposing today. Like I have spent years planning this. I have spent thousands of dollars. This isn't it. I'll wait. I, maybe it won't be the first time Garrett sees the Mediterranean. It will just be a different time. I don't care. I can't propose today. So I'm so angry about this. And before I left, a friend of mine who's Hindu um, told me to pray to the Hindu god Ganesha. It's the elephant-like god. Um, just 
she said that this is the placer and remover of obstacles, the guardian of thresholds, there's something significant about this. So I did the prayer that she had sent me and didn't think anything of it. Well, we're in the middle of Rome, bickering right now, and I look up, an entire side of the building is painted with a mural of Ganesha. And I think, okay, obstacles here for a reason, Mike, pay attention, this is okay. So long story short, I remember this piazza, he remembers that one, we find our way back to the hotel. We run in, pee, I grab my bags, grab a power bar, and we head over to the metro station to take over to the train station. I go through the turnstile, and we had weekly passes. Garrett goes to go through the turnstile, and he says, oh, shit. It was in my front pocket, and it's now disintegrated. He doesn't have a pass, and the machine will not let me get back through, so I can't get out to help him. And I said, it is a busy Roman train station on a Saturday. Nobody is helping an American. Like, I'm going to yell to you how to get the machine into English so that you can buy your ticket and be able to get back through. So I'm screaming to him across this. This is very, one of the busiest train stations in all of Rome. People are everywhere. He finally figures it out, puts the ticket in. It doesn't work. I'm like, Garrett, we have like one more shot at this. We do not have time. He goes, buys another ticket. It finally works. So we go through, we take the metro to Roma Damini, which is the biggest train station in Italy, right? So there are 40 trains going at any given time. It's a very busy train station. And we have five minutes until our train leaves. So I said, oh my God, thank God. So I said, Garrett, look, this is where the platform will be posted. Just you look right there. I'm going to go make sure that what I printed out is enough or if I have to exchange it for a physical ticket because we just printed out a confirmation from online. And so I get back, there are two minutes left until our train leaves, and it's still not posted. And I'm freaking out, because I'm like, it would say delayed, it's not delayed, nobody, you know, it's really hard to get people to help, because it's just so busy here. I said, we need to go through security, and run up and down all 40 trains, and just find our train. That's the only option at this point. Gosh. So we go through security, we run up and down all 40 trains, we can't find our train. We are freaking out because we know there's less than two minutes until our train leaves. We will be losing a thousand dollars. I don't know if we have anywhere to stay around here. And so I run over to an attendant and I said, please, please, please just call it in. Just ask me. I think you're confused. I'm not confused. Please call it in. He called in and he just said, oh my God, your train's leaving in less than a minute. Run. So we now have all of our bags. We are sprinting down this platform, trying to get to this train. I wish I were exaggerating. Garrett will say this a lot. He said, Mike exaggerates sometimes, but nothing about the story has been an exaggeration. So we jump onto a train, the train, and within 10 seconds, it takes off. Oh my gosh. Uh, my heart is pounding. Oh. I am sweating. I am like miserable right now. And my only thought in my mind is, screw this. I'm not proposing today. I am not proposing. This is the worst day. It's a disaster. And I put too much into this. And Garrett turns to me and says, you know, it's so weird. For everything that went wrong today, you would have thought we would have turned on each other. But we didn't. We worked together as a team. Isn't that weird? And I thought, well, shit, now I have to propose today. <laughs> so we take this train. It's about three hours long. And I transfer his, I bought him a watch. I transferred it into my raincoat because God knows it's still raining. And um, we get over there and we still have to walk a mile to our hotel. So we're a mile in the rain still. But at this point, I don't care. Like, I am determined. It is on. It is happening. And so we check into the hotel. And, you know, I didn't even know what I was going to say at this point. Like, I have everything shot to shit. I have just, like, I'm winging this. We check into the hotel. And we put our bags down in our room. And I said, hey, Garrett, do you want to go check out the rooftop? Who in their right mind would want to check out the rooftop at this moment while it's still raining out? 
But uh, he's like, I, I guess, okay. So we get outside to the rooftop. And at this point, it's just drizzling, but it's still raining. And I said, hey, why don't you just go check out that castle in the distance? And oh my gosh, look at the um, water that you obviously can't see. You can hardly see anything. So he, I get down on one knee as he's looking away. And he turns back around. And I said, Garrett, I won't lie to you. I woke up this morning and I planned on proposing to you. And then everything went to shit. Everything. Everything that could have went wrong went wrong. And I thought, screw this. I'm not proposing to you. I'm not doing it. Like, I've spent years planning, thousands of dollars. I'm not doing this because I have one shot at this. And I'm not going to waste it on today. I have one shot at this. And I I can't believe how much has went wrong. But then we started working together as a team. And I realized I don't just have one shot at this. I have a million shots at this. Because every day for the rest of my life, I'm just waking up. I'm asking myself if I'm still game to do this. And I'm asking you to love me. Today is just one of those days. So I brought you to the most beautiful place that I know that could potentially rival your beauty to ask you, will you marry me? And he said, maybe. No, he said yes. And, um, you know, I, I pulled out of my pocket. I had a picture of me with his mom that was date stamped and it said Cheryl approved. And so I told him about the weird weekend that I had down there. Oh my gosh. Wow. What a story. I mean, you, you made me almost cry several times. So I, I, I love it. I love it. I love it. And I love that, you know, people that are listening to this get to hear your expression of love and the invitation and the thoughtfulness. Um, and also that you get to hear it and your partner over and over again. So, and people that, that know you, I want to know Mike, to you, yeah, please. What do you think humanity needs the most, based on your life experience, everything that yeah. you've shared, your stories? Yeah, um, you know, I think the answer is unique life, and what I mean by that is our gifts, our sensitivities, the things that make us so different and so unmistakable, and so us—the diversity of every human and every lived experience—and you know, the wisdom that we don't necessarily always get to hear. We hear from similar voices sometimes, or we hear, you know, because of power structures, or some people have shame and don't want to be who they truly are and want to be somebody else. And I just think what profound wisdom we miss out on. And so this, you know, life for people to feel so in touch with who they are and alive and passionate and excited and sharing that with one another, that is making us all feel more alive. I love it. And, and what's the name of your book? Uh, Enough Already, Create Success on Your Own Terms. Okay. And you mentioned business. So how are you serving and helping people in the world? Yeah. So what I do for work is I help people to map their lived experiences and map their sensitivities, what they're most sensitive to, to understand you know which levers they naturally pull whenever they feel successful or purposeful in life. And so what we'll notice is, you know, people, we have a huge array of experiences, huge array of emotions, of course, but the exact same sensitivities are always triggered. And so if we ever feel loved or purposeful or, you know, we're successful in business, we're subconsciously doing the exact same things over and over again. And what I do is help people to map those and in their language, in five or six words, articulate exactly what their own success and purpose formula is. I love it. I love that what you said humanity needs the most is how you are putting your work out into the world. Mm-hmm. You say that's living your Tao in Chinese medicine. So um, I want to thank you so much 
for sharing your stories. I can see why Garrett, your your husband, would want to sit in the corner and listen to you share them all all night long. So we're I'm totally blessed and grateful that you do that with us today. And and yeah, um, so. Where can people get in touch with you? How can they find you? Sure. So you can go to my website. It's mikeimle.com. And if you're like feeling jazzed up and you're like, oh my gosh, I want to think about sensitivities myself. We have a free worksheet with a little training to go with it to help you begin thinking about mapping those sensitivities at mikeimle.com slash map, M-A-P. And you can come find me on Instagram. I'm like a little bit of a hermit, but I'm coming out of my shell. So pull me out of my shell. We're having some really fun conversations over on Instagram. Okay, so one last question. Let's take a look in that mirror again. Mm-hmm. So after you've shared your stories and your life and your values and what you think humanity needs the most, tell me what do you see when you look at yourself? Yeah, um, a sparkle in my eyes, relaxed. Uh, my whole, all my features just feel more relaxed and um, beauty, just a lot of beauty. Love it. Thank you so, so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Humanity Speaks podcast. With the rise of social media engagement and video conference calls, many people are feeling more self-conscious about seeing themselves face on. I believe that if you love yourself when you see yourself, you elevate humanity, which is why I've created programs to help people love who they see in the mirror. I want to show you how to look at yourself with love, compassion, and acceptance so you can share your strengths, presence, and talents with pride. The best part is we can work together one-on-one in a group program or even in person. Simply visit MarianneTelkovsky.com or follow me on Instagram at MarianneTelkovsky and we can get started right now on your path to radical self-acceptance, healthy aging, and building your radiant energy. Until next time, signing off. This is Marianne Talkovsky with Humanity Speaks.